please pray for the message. Maybe seated in the presence of the Lord. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us into the presence of the Lord this morning and helping us get our hearts prepared now to receive his word. I want to begin this morning by telling you a story. This isn't a once upon a time fairy tale story, but rather this is a real, true story. And it's a story about a king. This was a very powerful king. But this particular king had a character problem. And where this story is told to us in the Bible, it tells us a little bit about the character of this king. And it uses a word for this king multiple times. It tells us that this king was sullen. Anybody tell me, now that's a word we don't use very often, what's sullen mean? Give me some words that kind of describe sullen. Any of you kids? Anybody you kids know sullen? Any of you? Oh, what's that? Grumpy. You and the man, Cooper. Grumpy. That's a good word. What else? What does sullen mean? Anybody else? Downtrodden, okay. What else? Depressed. Sulking, selfish, dread. Okay, all of those really good words. Well, this king, he was very, very sullen. Well, he lived in a big castle. And nearby his castle, or his big palace, I guess we'd call it, his palace, there was just an ordinary guy who had a vineyard where he grew grapes and on which his family's livelihood depended. Now, anybody start to know who our king's name might be and who are who are we talking about? Ahab and whose vineyard? Naboth. That's right. So, right near the palace, there was this vineyard, and Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard so that he could make a vegetable garden. Now, I like vegetables. You come over to my house, I got lots of vegetables going on, all right? So, I love vegetables. When we lived in Kettle River, we had a 25 by 125 foot vegetable garden. Right? We loved to grow vegetables. Well, they, so Ahab, he wanted Naboth's vineyard for his own vegetable garden. So he went to Naboth and he said, he thought, you know, I'm the king and I can make a good deal here. So he said, if you will give to me your vineyard, I'll give you another vineyard to replace your vineyard or else I'll give you a fair price, whatever price you want. For me to pay for this vineyard, I'll pay for it. And Naboth said, no. This has been my family's vineyard for generations. This is my land. Far be it from me to sell off or give away my inheritance or even trade it for something else. This is my land. So what did Ahab do? He went home, and he was very grumpy. In fact, he was so grumpy and sulking and sullen that he went and he climbed up in his bed 
he curled up in a ball. And I think maybe he even started sucking his thumb. Because he was so unhappy with Mabel. Well, his wife, whose name was Jezebel, went into, he wouldn't eat, he wouldn't drink, he wouldn't get up out of bed, all because he couldn't get this vineyard for his vegetable garden. His wife went in and said to him, hey, buddy, buck up. What's the deal? You're the king. You can do whatever you want. Why are you so sullen and sulking about this little vineyard? I'll help you get that vineyard. So Jezebel, she took it on an an official king paper. King Ahab's paper with his seal. He... She took and she wrote a letter to the, to the people, the, the town, the mayor, the town people of Jezreel where, where this vineyard was, where Nabal, and she said to the town leader, she wrote them a letter and she said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to throw a big party banquet, a big special affair, and I want you to have Naboth at that and sitting in a very prominent place in front of all the people. And then I want you to get a couple of guys and you're going to pay them some money, some, some shady characters who are going to come and what they're going to do is when the banquet's happening, they're going to stand up and they're going to make some accusations against Naboth and they're going to say, we heard him cursing God and the king. And so sure enough, they hosted this big banquet. Naboth was there in a, in a place of honor. And the two scoundrels sat across the table. And they said, we heard Naboth. And he cursed God and he cursed the king. He deserves to die. And they took Naboth out beyond the city gates. And as the law at that time was, if you cursed God and you cursed the king, you got stoned to death. And so they took stones and they stoned Naboth. Then they sent word back. And they sent word back to Jezebel, and they said, it's done. And Jezebel went into Ahab's room, and Ahab was still there, curled up, unhappy. And she said, get up! Go and take your vineyard. The deed is done. Naboth is dead. It's yours for the taking, king. And so the king went out went to look over his vineyard. Well, at that very time, that Naboth was out, putting out his, he was just starting to lay out where his tomatoes and potatoes and his broccoli and all was going to be in his vegetable garden, getting it all set up. Word of the Lord had come to prophet of the Lord. Who do you think that prophet was? Elijah. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, You go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel who rules in Samaria. He's right now in Naboth's vineyard, and he has gone to take possession of it. And here's what the Lord said I want you to say to, Na- to, to um, Ahab. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Well, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked licked up Naboth's blood, dogs are going to lick up your blood. Yes, your. So, Elijah goes down to meet Ahab, 
And Ahab says to Elijah, So you have found me, my enemy. I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And I am going to bring disaster on you. I'm going to consume your descendants, cut off from Ahab, every last male in Israel, slave or free. I'm going to make your house like the house of Jeroboam because you have provoked me to anger and have caused Israel to sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord says dogs are going to devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs are going to eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city and the birds of the air are going to feed on those who die in the country. Why? Editor's note. Here. In the scripture, there was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites. The Lord drove out before Israel. And the story goes on, and we find out what happens to Ahab and what happens to Jezebel, as the Lord has said. And what got Ahab? into his predicament, into the place, into that evil from the beginning. What was it? It was his sullenness. His anger. When he didn't get his way. This morning we continue our series on takeoff out of Hebrews chapter 12, where we are encouraged to run for our lives. As it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. These last several weeks, we've been looking at various things that the Lord invites us to throw off so that we can take off and run for our lives. First, the first uh, besetting weight or sin that we are called to take off at the root of all others is that of pride. I'm at the center, it's all about me. And the antidote to that is humility, which is the grace of self-forgetfulness, not simply thinking less of yourself, but rather thinking less about yourself. The second that we looked at a couple weeks ago is avarice, which, or more commonly known as greed, where avarice says life comes from possessing things so that the more I have and the more I keep, the more life I will experience. However, the antidote to that is simplicity, which recognizes it's the grace of contentment, recognizing that life comes not from possessing more, but rather being possessed more by God, the true giver and sustainer of life. The third that we are looking at and that we looked at last week is envy. Aspiration looks up and says, I aspire to be up there too, Envy looks up and says, I want you to be below me. Envy, as St. Thomas Aquinas put it, is sorrow at another's good. And as we saw last week, the antidote, the primary antidote is that, uh, is that of gratitude. It is the seedbed of joy that has been sown with God's grace. When we recognize God's goodness, we begin to see the half-empty glass as half-full. And we are emptied of resentment and filled with gratitude. It is hard for envy and gratitude to be in the same cup at the same time. And so when you find yourself envying, begin to thank God. As it says here in 1 Peter 2, as Peter instructed, he said, rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. When we taste that the Lord is good, it pulls out the thorn of envy from our heart. 
All right. So this morning, entitled the message, Take Off Before the Sun Goes Down. And of course, taking off on that passage of scripture, which we'll look at in just a moment. So this morning, you already are aware of what it is that we are being invited to take off today, to throw off anger. Now, this is a complex subject which would take actually multiple weeks for us to unpack, but I'm going to try to just give us at least a cliff note version today so that we can understand, because this is a sin, I think, that is besetting to almost every human being on earth at one point or in one way or another. One of the things that we need to start up front by saying is that anger in and of itself is not necessarily sinful. Anger is an emotion. It can come to us and flood, you know, so, so just, just the fact that you're angry doesn't mean necessarily that you are sinning, as it says in Scripture. In your anger, do not sin, okay? Where it becomes, and, and God is clearly angry at times, in scripture, so if something is a part of the character of God, and we're going to get to that later, um, it, 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 it can't be something that is inherently sinful. What happens in, in where it becomes sinful, and listen, I, I've got these two words very specifically. I'm using these two words very, very specifically this morning. It is when it is irrational and inordinate, which is a big word, but let me explain. The next phrase explains what that means. Irrational is when it's no longer governed by reason. Inordinate is when it is greater in intensity and longevity than is, than is warranted. When you find yourself reacting to something with a far greater intensity, or when you find yourself hanging on in longevity to something, over a long season and period of time, that intensity and longevity, as well as the irrational nature when it is no longer governed by reason, that's when it becomes settled, sullen hostility. And the problem is, is that ultimately it violates the commandment to love God and our neighbor. Ultimately, anger breaks the two primary commandments, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So this is when anger becomes sinful, when it is irrational, when it is inordinate. So we are instructed in Ephesians 4, 26, 27, says, and in quoting here Psalm 4.4, Paul writes, in your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, some people try to take that literally, do not let the sun go down on your anger. There are people that have moved to Alaska in the summer, <laughs> so that the sun never goes down, and so they're able to stay angry just as long as they want, okay? They figure, I'm not violating scripture. I'm just staying angry while the sun is still shining, okay? And some people, and, and this is something I talk to, uh, I, I, I talk regularly to um, pre-marriage, in my pre-marriage counseling. John Wydell, welcome home from Romania. Welcome back. All right. Um, I, I tell, you know, sometimes people feel like, okay, I can't, can't go to bed angry, and so we're just going to stay up and work it out. Mm. And I always say, well, how's that working for you? Okay? Those large-scale relational conversations at about 1 in the morning, those work really well. Mm-hmm. Not so much. All right? So the Bible's not saying... Necessarily, it's not a literal, don't let the sun go down, you know, don't be angry, the sun's going down, I've got to get it up. Because anyway, one in the morning, it's already, the sun's already down, by the way. Okay? So, but what it's saying is do not hang on to in the intensity and longevity of that 
Do not allow that to continue to uh, go on in your life. Therefore, do not allow the devil a foothold. Don't allow that. I'm really angry about that, by the way, what just happened. <laughs> Don't give the enemy a foothold. All right? Do not allow the enemy a place. Because that's what the enemy, the enemy, it's just, a, it's like the enemy takes that anger, that place, and he gets a foothold in your life. And from there, once he's occupying that foothold, then he's got his foot in the door, and that opens up to others. Okay? So, here's my question for us this morning. What are the symptoms or the maybe causes and symptoms would even be another way to put it. What are some of the causes or consequences, the causes and consequences, the symptoms of anger in our lives? Okay? And we can see these worked out in Ahab. I mean, you see Ahab's story, and that's why I opened with that story, to bring us in to a very real-life, true story that could be any of us, all right? The first is that of control. Control. Let's talk about this a minute. This is really a cause behind anger. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires of battle within you? Think of Ahab. You desire, but do not have, so you kill. <laughs> you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. Here's the issue for us as human beings. Anger is usually ridded in the seedbed of control. When something or someone blocks our goals, or we are unable to control situations, circumstances, and people around us, it can quickly spark anger in us. How we choose to respond to that emotion is critical to whether it becomes sinful or not. So I want you to get this. It's your response. How you respond, what, what, what happens when that anger gets sparked within you. Right? So, we've talked about this before. Let me, very quickly, again, the difference between goals and desires. Goals are not dependent on other people or circumstances in order for them to be fulfilled. Desires are dependent on other people and things in order for them to be fulfilled. Goals are not, desires are. Okay? So, if your goal, now this is, you know, if you're a parent, and your goal is to have perfectly behaved children. How's that working? Okay. If your child blocks your goal, what are you going to do? Anger. It can be an appropriate desire for your children to be well-behaved. But your goal is, I'm going to be the best father, the best mother I can possibly be towards my child. Because that's only something you can block. So you get this, and this is in every situation. It's at work, it's at home, it's, it's all the time. I mean, there's, it's this desire to control. I mean, that was Ahab. He wanted to control the outcomes. He wanted to control. He wanted to get a hold of that vineyard. He wanted that, and when he couldn't get it, he responded with anger. So it is with many of us. It sparks anger. So control is often. So, so a good question to ask yourself when you find yourself reacting in anger is, what am I trying to control? <laughs> That'll help get you oriented. Revenge. Revenge is typically a consequence or can be a consequence of anger. Romans 12, 17 to 19, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it is, depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, 
says the Lord. Anger generally seeks to redress a perceived injustice by taking matters into one's own hands. Unfortunately, settling the score usually only serves to increase the score of both parties involved. So when we are angry and then we want, you know, have you ever had those conversations in your head? Anybody ever had those? You know? I usually have those when I'm cutting the lawn. All right? Okay, so, and you have those conversations you had, I'm going to get this, all right? The challenge becomes when you begin to take that to the next level of actually beginning to seek to make it happen, to be when you are the one who's seeking to redress that injustice with your own plan. And ultimately, anger leads to hatred. Listen to this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So anger's right in the midst of this whole, and, and, and Paul uses some very specific uh, words here. Hatred is the end result of unresolved anger. It is the antithesis of love. And the results of hatred include bitterness, which can be defined as sour speech, a sour spirit, a negative, cynical, and refusing to be reconciled. Bitterness, by the way, it's just, it, Hebrews describes it as a poison. Bitterness is an ugly, ugly thing. It's a poisonous thing. Wrath. Explosive anger, passionate rage, brawling, shouting, screaming, quarreling, slander, speaking evil, destroying reputations, and malice, wishing and even plotting evil against a person or against a people. This is sort of the, you know, in the downward slide of anger. This is where anger ends. And I think if we're honest today, every one of us in this room has struggled at one point or another with this issue of anger. Every one of us has struggled with this in one way or at one point or another. And perhaps it's even devolved to this place where in our hearts we have held bitterness or we've had this explosive anger of wrath or there's been shouting, screaming, the brawling, the, the slander where we've spoken evil and sought to destroy reputations of others or maybe even settled malice. So, how do we take off anger? What's the antidote? What what are the antidote here to, to anger in our lives? And for any of us who struggle with this, for all of us who struggle with one, in one way or another with this issue, how do we take off anger? First of all, the antidote to control. So each of these is going to be paired. So pair them in your notes or pair them in your mind with with the first three symptoms or causes. So the first, if the first kind of the seedbed or the foundation of anger is control, then the antidote to it is meekness. Now this is a word that's not very common and not one that we typically use. So if you need to, in your mind, you can use another word that's perhaps more common and it's a, sort, it's a similar word, not exactly the same, but somewhat similar, and that would be gentleness. Okay? Meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, Jesus says in Matthew. He says, in Matthew 11, he says, take my yoke upon, 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Learn from Jesus his meekness. So what does meekness mean? First of all, meekness seeks to cause no harm, either by action or by inaction. So what I want to strip away from your thinking right now is meekness is not passivity. It's not passivity. It doesn't mean not acting. At all. In fact, if, if, if inaction causes harm, that's not meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Just because they sound the same and they alliterate in our thinking, they are not the same. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. Meekness is strength under control. Rather than seeking to control, it submits to God's control. And in submitting to God's control, we are not controlled by circumstances or by other people. So put it this way in your notes. You could say, meekness is not being driven by other people or other circumstances, whether we're reacting to them or we're taking up offense on their part, or whatever it is, meekness is coming under God's control and submitting to him. So when we use the word, have you ever heard, if you're in, my, my son-in-law's a, a natural horsemanship instructor, so when you're talking about horses, which are very strong, big animals, they talk about gentling a horse. They're not talking about breaking its will, they're talking about taking its will and its strength and bringing it under control of that who is leading that horse. So in the same way, we are called to bring ourselves under the control of God. That is what true meekness is. Then we can respond and not react to people and situations. And when God calls us to action, we do that action. Jesus, in the temple when he was turning over the money changer's table and taking the whip and driving out, he was angry at injustice and he was taking action, yet he was still meek. This wasn't the, you know, long flowing blonde locks, Jesus meek and mild looking like something out of a 70s uh, rock album cover art, okay? This is Jesus in his fullness of his authority, so in his righteous indignation, at injustice, stepping out under the control of his father, taking action. That, too, is meekness. So meekness is not weakness, but it causes no harm. And we're going to talk about that again in just a moment. Secondly, paired with revenge, we have forgiveness. Forgiveness. On the contrary, this is going on. We already read out of Romans 12 earlier. Do not repay um, evil for evil. Do not do that. It says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In this, you will heap burning coals on his head. What you do when you begin to forgive and bless is you put the responsibility back on the other person. As long as you're hanging on to the coal of your anger, the only person truly getting burned is you. It's as you open your hand and begin to release, and as you pour out even forgiveness and blessing, as you open-handedly begin to release what you've been holding, that is when you begin to allow the heaping coals to be upon their heads, not yours. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. This is the second part of that Ephesians 4. We looked at Ephesians 4.31. This is 4.32. Through forgiveness, we release the execution of justice into God's hands. 
And forgiveness opens the door towards genuine reconciliation and ultimately shalom. This would take a whole other sermon to say, but when you give forgiveness, when you choose to open your hands and forgive, that doesn't mean that you are now fully reconciled to the person who has wounded or hurt you. In fact, it's a whole other process in terms of reconciliation. You feel like, well, I must not have forgiven because I'm not reconciled. That's a lie from the enemy. You can forgive, which is an internal releasing of carrying the burden of that person's offense upon your heart, but the reconciliation is a separate process, but the forgiveness opens the door. And when you choose not to revenge, you open the heart towards reconciliation. Does that make sense? Okay. Which brings us to the final, which is the opposite of hatred, which is, of course, love. What's the antidote to hatred? It is love. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. This is going on now. We finished Ephesians 4, 31, 32. Now we go to 5, 1, and 5, 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Ultimately, we are to pattern our life after God, who is love. God is angry at sin and injustice, but that anger flows from the fountain of his love. He is always good and always desires the very best for his beloved children. Towards that end, we too are to focus our lives living a life of love. So we sometimes have a hard time reconciling, and people, people in fact, it's one of the barriers that people have to faith is they look at God in the Old Testament and they say, you know, I can't reconcile the angry, wrathful God of the Old Testament with the loving, kind God of the New Testament. Jesus. Well, if Jesus is, as Hebrews tells us, the exact representation of, of, of God himself, and we want to know who the Father is, we need to know who Jesus is, we need to recognize that Jesus, too, is angry at sin and injustice. Like I said earlier, with the, at, at the temple, we see that lived out in, in, in his conversations. It's not like Old Testament God and New Testament God. God is always good. Good in the Old Testament, good in the New Testament. Always has his best for his beloved ch- children, Old Testament and New Testament. So we, but we need to understand in the midst of that that God's anger at sin and justice flows from the fountain of his love. In the Psalms, it, it describes and it says, in Christ, it, well, it's not using Christ, but it says, in him, mercy and justice kiss. God's anger flows out of his love because he, because the sin and the injustice, the consequence of that, that on the life of his beloved creation is so tragic. He is angry at that, but his anger flows from his love and his desire to bring his justice and righteousness, and truth, and order, and life. He wants to bring life. And so he calls us to imitate our lives after him to live a life of love. So my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, James. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. 
Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So my question for us this morning is simply this. Will we humbly accept his word today? Will we humbly choose to submit ourselves under his mighty hand again? Will we allow ourselves in our hearts and lives to be gentled? Will we realize that our anger will not produce the righteousness that he desires? That our that we can't do it in our own energy, in our own strength, in our own ability, in our own power, with our own wisdom, with our own way. It won't happen. It will not happen. God alone in us can work this through and work out his word in our lives. So will we humbly Accept him in his word today. Worship team, if you please come on up. I think, again, as I said earlier and several times here, there is a reality, and that is, is that as human beings, I think every single one of us faces this issue in our lives. I trust that through this series of messages, God has been able to speak to you as he's been speaking to me about these areas in all of our lives. And maybe it's possible on some of them it's easier. For some of them, it might be easier to sort of distance ourselves from them. Oh, you know, pride, that's sort of, I mean, yeah, I know that I've got it, but it's sort of really big, and I don't really see it that clearly. And avarice, well, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of people around who have a lot more than I do, so I guess I'm, I can't be greedy. I don't know. Uh, envious, well, uh, that again, you know. But anger, it's hard to kind of escape <laughs> the reality of your own, of your own life. It's like, it's kind of hard to say, well, yeah, you know, I, I guess I'm really glad that my spouse is here to listen to this message today because they really struggle with that, you know. Boy, I'm sure glad that Sister, uh, Sister Jones is here today because, man, yeah, yeah me it's you it's us so if we could just stand to our feet this morning go ahead and put up the words and um, we've been talking about this Hebrews 12 and running the race and uh, this morning we want to again commit ourselves to taking off anything and everything that that would keep us from running the race that's been set out before us. And this morning, you know, there is absolutely no shame here today. Because I'm going to be right here with all of us just saying, God. And I'm, I'm really grateful. I can tell you that over a long period of many years, the Lord has been dealing and and releasing me in this area of my life and has brought me a, a large degree of victory. Have I arrived to perfection yet? I, I don't think so. <laughs> I know so. No. But there's movement forward. So I, I, can, I, can, I speak this out of a place of, of actual lived reality and also hopefulness. I've really seen God work in this area. So I believe that he can bring in it. So if, if you just need to come to this altar this morning, we've got a little time here just to spend before him. and We're just going to present ourselves and ask him to work his meekness and forgiveness and love in our hearts today.
And so I'll then just give a general prayer over us after we've come to the altar. But So if you'd like to come, you know, step out right now as we sing. And let's present ourselves to him right now. Father, let's just open our hands. Jesus, you know us. There is no hiding from you. There's no way we can stand before you in honesty and authenticity and genuineness before you this morning and say, well, never struggled with that. That's not me. God, all of us. We're human, and you know how you've made us, and you know that we're just, we're dust, Lord, we're, we're made, we're, there's just the, the human natural reality of who we are. But God, that's not all we are, because we're yours, and we're loved by you, and your mighty hand has formed and shaped us from that dust into something you want us to be a container that, that is filled with your glory and your presence and reflects you to a world around us that's desperately in need of seeing men and women and children who are who are just genuine and true and who, who live their lives transparently with openness and, and in meekness and in forgiveness and in love express your character to the world that desperately needs to know you. So Jesus, in this area of all of our lives, we ask you, Lord, to work your work among us to work your work in us, to pull out, oh Lord, those roots of control that just, God, we can't do it ourselves. We need your grace to come and till the garden of our heart. Remove those thoughts of revenge. Cleanse us from the poison of hatred, the bitterness and the malice and the brawling and the, the malice, the slander, the things, God, that Jesus, come with your mercy today and reveal your life among us, Jesus. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. And we want this body to, as a whole to express your life in this way. So in everything that we are and everything that we do, Lord, May meekness prevail. May we be fully submitted to your control. For your glory in Jesus' name. Now just before I give the benediction, I want to give just one last word of instruction. This is, this is a lifelong process for, for most people of walking through into this place of true freedom. And, and powerful things happen at altars and powerful things happen. And I believe as the word of the Lord comes in, I know that there are very specific points in my life where God did some work to break some stuff off of my life. And I believe he will break off in your lives even now. Yet, as with all of these, there's a place beyond victory. It's, it's called occupying. You have to occupy new land. You can't just have the old removed, you be, need to begin to walk in a new place. And that takes discipline from the Lord. And it takes community to do this. You cannot do this alone. I'm grateful the Lord has given me a, a wonderful wife to walk with me through this. And wonderful friends and, and people that I go to. I, I, I submit my life to other people who are further along in the journey than I am so that, so that they can help me in whatever area of my life I'm struggling in. I encourage you to do the same. I encourage you to continue to get prayer. 
We have a live streams prayer ministry. They'll be starting up again in August on Monday nights with prayer appointments. If you want prayer, saturated prayer for a couple hours, people just praying with you in these areas. If you want to speak to one of the elders, one of the other leaders, people you see up here who, who lead us in worship or who are part of the life of the body, if you need help or if you just want me to connect you with somebody, you can contact me and say, I'm struggling with this. And, and there's people here who will walk with you. You're not alone. That's what I just want you to know. You're not alone. We're not alone in this. We need to walk together in community. Would you open your hands one more time as I give the benediction? I just want to bless now. Lord Jesus, as I pray each Sunday, I pray again this day. Lord God, that you would fill each and every one here present and those who are not, and even our students on the bus on the way up, struggling to get there and to all of our families traveling and those that are gone beyond the shores and are back home visiting in other lands. and Lord, those that might be struggling today with infirmity and affliction, illnesses, either of body or mind or soul or spirit, I ask now that you would fill each and every one with the immeasurable love of God the Father irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Savior. With the inexhaustible strength, power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit to be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of his favor over your life. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I bless you, people of God. May his goodness and mercy chase you down each and every day of your life for his glory in Jesus' name. Now God's people say, Amen. Amen.